Welcome to the Veterinary Startup Practice Podcast with attorney Rob Montgomery, where Rob and his veterinary industry guests seek to demystify the process of starting up a veterinary practice. Since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. And now, here's Rob Montgomery. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery, and welcome to the Veterinary Startup Practice Podcast, where, as we like to say, we are seeking to demystify the process of starting a vet practice by bringing in experts and thought leaders from the veterinary world to talk about the startup process and what to do, and sometimes even more importantly, what not to do. Uh, so today I have uh, the team from Blackstone Building Group. Uh, we are going to be talking to uh, Ben Bell, uh, who is the owner and president of Blackstone Building Group, and Trey Anderson, who is the principal of Blackstone Architecture, who works side by side and in hand with, uh, with the Blackstone folks. And uh, Blackstone uh, Building Group was established in 2007, uh, and they specialize in design and construction of healthcare offices. Uh, ben Bell, who is, as I said, the owner and president, serves as the single point of contact for veterinarians, dentists, and doctors, and assists them through every phase of a construction project from the initial concept through getting open for business. Uh, Blackstone Building Group has become an industry-leading design build company for healthcare projects in three major markets. So uh, they're headquartered in Wilmington, Delaware, where they serve the Delaware, Pennsylvania, and South Jersey markets. Uh, but they have also expanded into the metro Atlanta and South Central Florida markets as well. And you know, as I said, they are a design-build company, and we'll talk about what that means and why that's something that you may want to consider uh, when you're doing your startup. And then uh, Trey Anderson, also on with us, as I said, from, uh, from Blackstone Architecture. He specializes in design-build approaches for healthcare construction projects. Uh, he is a 2001 uh, School of Architecture grad from the Penn State University. And he's a registered architect in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, Georgia, and Florida. And for over 15 years, he's helped healthcare professionals design a variety of projects in the commercial, medical, facility space. And uh, for about 10 years, he's been involved uh, as a design-build architect. And so, uh, Ben and Trey, uh, welcome to the podcast, guys, and thanks for being on. Thanks for having us. Right. So uh, I've had the uh, the pleasure of working with Blackstone and a lot of our clients have uh, worked on Blackstone, uh, work with Blackstone for their uh, their construction projects over the years. And, um, you know, this is again, we're sounding like uh, maybe at, at risk of sounding like a bloke broken record. But we've said this in all the episodes. It's really important to work with people who know your industry, who uh, have experience in these projects. And uh, while there, it's important to work with in all these uh, disciplines where we're talking about lenders and realtors and lawyers uh, when who have this experience, when it comes to construction, it may even be more important to work with somebody that's built these, uh, these types of offices before because I've seen where clients have worked with people who aren't 
experienced in the healthcare construction industry. And uh, there's always some version of, of a problem there, <laughs> which sure you guys uh, probably gets to you anecdotally after the fact. But you know, where if you don't know what to do or what is involved in one of these projects, then things kind of quote unquote come up. And when things quote unquote come up uh, in a construction process, that usually means delays and, and further costs. So uh, really, really important folks to be working with. Uh, people like Ben and Trey who have this healthcare construction experience. So uh, let's just kick it off. Uh, tell us what is a design build approach? Uh, and then um, I guess maybe start with you, Ben. And then uh, and then Trey, maybe tell us why you think that that may be advantageous in a lot of situations. Sure. Well, design-build approach, as we see it, is basically we, the relationship between the architect and the builder. So having everyone under one roof enables us to control the time frame and to control the budget. Um, and it eliminates finger-pointing down the road. Um, a lot of times when there are independent um, relationships, um, you know, there, there, tends, there can be some finger-pointing, some things that might be on the plans that shouldn't be, some, some things that were missed on the plans, and then right. ultimately that becomes you know, the responsibility of the, of the client. So what we do, we, we try to do is take ownership of the entire project. Um, and, you know, we set a budget up front, we design to that budget, and then we are responsible for everything in between. So it also, it helps us with the time frame. Uh, we can stick to our time frames in terms of getting the plans complete, getting submitted for permit. And then we have direct access to working together throughout the entire project for a cohesive, project all the way through. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. And and I think, you know, it's just common sense that if you have two guys that are on, you know, basically the same team working together side by side, it's just there's efficiencies with that instead of trying to schedule meetings with somebody who's in a different office or coordinate uh, the transmission of information that just just common sense says that that's going to be tricky. Now, I mean, you mentioned too that, you know, it helps from a time standpoint. Uh, you know, in, in terms of how long the project is, uh, I think, you know, I've obviously seen, I'm sure you guys have too, uh, in the last year, year and a half, projects are just taking a whole lot longer to, uh, to complete. That is the case. Yeah. And a lot of that is just a, a sign of the times. It's a lot of, um, uh, readiness of, of materials and lead times on materials. And, you know, I think as within every industry, you know, you're, experiencing, you know, challenges when it comes to employees or, or not having enough employees or right. losing employees, you know, while COVID is, is in, in a sense behind us, you, you still do lose people from COVID. It's still very real and out there. Right. Um, and there are just challenges that we're faced with over the last year and a half, you know, two years that we didn't used to have. Right. Um, all of that has also increased costs in the industry. So, uh, you know, went from subcontractors to um, the materials, you know, it, we're, we're seeing an increase in costs that while we're seeing a little correction in being able to get materials, the costs are not coming back to where they were as well. So it, it all presents challenges. And, um, you know, at, at this point, we kind of know what we're up against and, and can plan for it and right. better communicate with a client on what to expect. Whereas, you know, in, in cases before we were kind of blindsided in many situations and it just made life a little bit difficult going through. But um, yeah, definitely a valid, 
valid concern. <laughs> now, now you know going into it, it's going to be difficult, right? <laughs> More difficult than it used to be. But I feel like, you know, again, for our listeners, that just underscores the importance of working with somebody who can do it as efficiently as possible and who has that experience. Because uh, as with anything, when challenges come up, people that are less experienced are less capable of dealing with it. So you know, just one more reason why working with somebody who's an experienced professional in this world who knows and has done these projects, uh, you can yep. try to mitigate that that risk of of, of time and, and cost uh, increasing. So uh, super, super important in that regard. So yeah, I guess let me ask you, so what are some mistakes that you guys see veterinarians make when they're doing a, a startup? Trey, you want to start with this one? Sure, sure. Uh, from the design side, um, you know, we all naturally make the unwitting mistake of not knowing what we don't know. You know, you, you spend your entire career thus far being a doctor at this point in time. Right. Now, you know, now you're required to wear a million different hats, you know, from, you know, the, the realtor to the accountant to the lawyer to the designer to everything. So, um, you know, that, that's just a standard issue that, that it starts with. But from there, um, what we're able to do and what we like to do is, is to pull the doctors, um, in, you know, down the path of, you know, not, you know, understand that what they don't know or understand there's a variety of options or approaches that exist for their practice. You know, so an example of that would be, you know, from your equipment uh, and your kennels to the scheduling and the checkout options. Uh, there are so many different approaches that you could take in today's world. It's not just that, whatever you did in the past or whatever you're doing at the practice you're currently at. Right. And I think so that's an important thing. And, and, and a few of our guests have, have talked about that on, on the podcast, you know, that specifically as a quote, you know, that you don't know what you don't know. But I feel like if you are working with somebody who has this experience, as you said, Trey, you can walk them through what their options are and what the different approaches are. So I feel like, you know, sometimes people may feel like this is just such a monumentally daunting task. Where do I begin? But, you know, as uh, Pete McCann uh, from Carr said on his uh, his episode, uh you know, you can break this down into smaller pieces. And if you've got somebody who's able to, as you said, pull them along, really show them, okay, now we're at this stage, you have these choices. Now we're at this stage, these are your choices. Uh, it's not it's not some some crazy monumental undertaking for them anymore. Yeah, and I think to, to continue on that, um, you know, each layout that we do and each layout for for a vet is going to be unique. So what works for one doctor isn't necessarily what's best for another doctor. Right. Um, so they really have to think about how they want to function, what they've liked in what that they've seen in offices they've worked in in the past potentially. Um, but not to get caught up into, you know, we'll do a floor plan sometimes and they'll want to seek advice. Doctors will want to seek advice from clients, from friends, from other people in the industry. I would say to a certain extent, you have to trust yourself a little bit and trust those who are designing it. The more people you go to, the more um, yeah. people you ask for advice and opinion on, the, the design tends to never come together and there are constantly changes being made. I think it's okay to have one or two resources that you that you trust or that you respect in the industry to kind of get their opinion. But the more you roll it out there to other people, it really slows the process and really starts to confuse the doctor. Yeah. 
funny. I, the listeners are probably thinking like, Rob, you, you've, you've planted this stuff and told these guys to say this stuff because this is this. These are common themes uh, among all of our, our guests. You know, I mean, what's good for one is not good for another is gets back to our conversation. Uh, listeners that have heard people talk about the vision. Everybody needs to have and know what their vision is for their practice, not somebody else's practice. This is your practice. And you can't go to uh, the uh to the, to the design team and say, build me a vet office. Well, uh, you, you got to tell us what you want, right? I mean, that, so it's so important for them to have a handle on what they want their practice to be, what they types of patients they want to treat, what their vision is. And then they can tell you, this is what we want. And then I have assumed then that's when you guys are able to provide meaningful feedback. Yeah, exactly. And then once that plan is solidified and done, so we, um, you know, timeframes are different for everyone and every different approach. I'll tell you from our perspective, once the, the, the floor plan is approved and we're ready to move, um, the architectural and the MEPs that are done in-house should take four to five weeks. And then we submit for permit and you're pretty much at the uh, the mercy of the, the uh, municipality at that point. But it right. could take another handful of weeks there in itself. So right. throughout that time, you don't want to be thinking changes there either. You know what I mean? Because then, you, you know, your plans have already been submitted. Now you're making changes to drawings that have already been done. Um, and even when you get into construction. So it's okay to make certain changes if you have different thoughts, but changes add time and they add money all the way through the process. Right. So you're saying like roughly if everybody's sort of cooperating and, and responding promptly, everybody being, you know, the your, your client customer, uh, you're looking at a, about four to five weeks for that, uh, for that design process to, to, to be able to come up with the, uh, with the drawings and the plans. Correct. Yeah. That, that's after, um, that's after that design, that program's been vetted out. So on the initial, you know, when you first talk, you first develop that program, you first come up with, hey, how, how, how do your wants and needs fit within this space that we're looking at? Got it. Uh, that's a real natural, like, organic method for, you know, working through, um, you know, a design that works with the, what you want in the space you want and how you want that to function and flow. Right. Once that's done and then, we, we, as being design build, utilize that to establish a budget for the construction side. And then when you're ready to go, at, at that point in time, that's when you spot in that four to five week uh, time period for your permit drawing, which then catapult you into permitting and then construction thereafter. Got it. So let's just back up then. When do you guys feel is like the, the best and optimal time for people to get you involved with the project? As soon as humanly possible. Okay. So we like to work closely with builders um, and, you know, and the clients right off the bat. So when there are different spaces that they're looking at, we can provide our feedback um, for what will work, what won't work, what, what um, you know, potholes and hurdles are we going to have with one space versus another space. Uh-huh. And it helps them in that decision-making process. Right. Um, you know, so, and can their design program, their, their must-haves fit within the envelope that they're considering? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, it doesn't allow for gro- growth. If they have future plans for growth, uh-huh. does that space allow for that within the design? Right. A uh, number of things that are when going into a space. So, yeah, we like to get involved early, um, and uh, it's usually the best outcome when we do. Yeah, that, that, and, and that's, it, I, that's exactly what I, what I suspected you would say, and, and it makes sense. And I think what people don't realize is, like, they're – as you said, different spaces, different buildings that present different challenges. So it's like, okay, we're going to have to put in all the plumbing in this building. How this one building may not 
lend itself to to doing that as easily as another building. Or, you know, we're going in and there's this, uh, there might be a, a, a tenant or some other user below the space that's being built. Like, what kind of cooperation are we going to get? Are we going to get access to that space? Or is it going to cost more? Or you're not going to be able to access that space during business hours. You're going to have to do it at night and on weekends, which becomes more expensive. These are the things that a layperson doesn't know as they look at a space and say, oh, yeah, these three spaces look the same. But you know, imagine you, know, you guys will look at those three spaces and say, yeah, but from a construction standpoint, they might all be very different. And you know, feasibility and or cost could vary wildly. Hundred percent right. Yep. Right. So you know, again, folks, as you, you're hearing, this is all kind of a, a group project. This is why you know, working with a team of people that understands us, who are actually working together, becomes important. Because as you look at space, you have to know that you're going to be able to build the office in a costly way, in a time timely and cost efficient way. There to stay within the budget that is the budget has already been vetted and approved by your lender so that you know when I sign this lease, this is what I'm going to build and this is what it's going to cost and this is how much money I'm going to borrow, right? And and so if you kind of, if you don't have a sense of all those things at the same time, then you leave yourself open for surprises that, oh, wow, the lender's not willing to lend all the money I need or, oh, guess what? I can't build what I want to build here or, oh, wow, this space I want uh, that I want to fit out that's you know eight thousand square feet. It's going to cost this much more money than I'm than I'm prepared to spend. So, if you really need to do all these things at the same time, and you know, listeners, you've heard several guests say we want to be involved at the earliest possible stage, and uh, you're saying, well, Jay, how can everybody be involved at the earliest possible stage? But it's important to to realize that you have to do that because. All of these people on your team are working collaboratively. And so you have to get them queued up and introduced and working together so that you know, you're, you're putting yourself in the right place and doing all the right things to ensure your success. Yeah, I mean, the process itself, when you think about it, it's a convoluted, tedious, and, and complex process of finding a, of a commercial space. Um, dealing with the, the, the realtor side and the attorney side on that end converting that from a design and construction standpoint into something completely different and then marketing and selling it and staffing it, you know, it's a long drawn out process. And our goal is really just to simplify that process from start to finish, you know, to have that one point of contact or, or a few points of contact for pe- of people that can really um, walk you through step by step. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, so you could spend your days being the, the doctor uh, and, and not being something else. Whereas, you know, we want to be the architect and the builder. So that's why we, you know, streamline the process for ourselves as well. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, th- that's another thing that you mentioned a few minutes ago that other people, other guests on the podcast have talked about really, you know, avoiding the peanut gallery. You know, it's like get the advice from the people that are your trusted advisors who have the experience here and uh, avoid advice from you know, well-intentioned family and friends or or colleagues who think they know what they're doing, uh, but they don't, you know, and like there's, there's plenty to do in this project, just working with the people that know what they're doing, who can guide you right without really spending a lot of time going outside of your core group, kind of pulling them for, for their advice. And it's one of the things that I, I see when I look at blogs and, and Facebook groups where people will chime in and say, hey, what do you think about this idea for an office? And people start responding like, I don't know how you could 
even respond to that. You haven't seen the the office. You don't know what the floor plan is. Um, but you know, despite that, it doesn't stop people from uh, putting in their two cents. And then you know, I think sometimes that uh, that noise can be distracting for for a doc and and kind of to their detriment, uh, drown out the uh, the advice that they're getting from the people that actually know what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, in the end, design by committee is is really, uh, you know, only is going to get you, you know, that the law of averages. So if you want to design for the average, you know, then by all means, you design by committee. In the end, though, you're the one's going to, you know, own it. You're the one's going to live with it. So our goal is to make it, uh, you know, function and work the best for you. Right. Yeah. No, that's that's that makes sense. So uh, what are um, what are some good things that you see, like best practices that veterinarians uh do with their startups that you know you think you'd like to impart on our our listeners. You want me to start with that? Go for it. I'll speak to it from an aesthetic standpoint, Rob. I think um, you're seeing this trend in a lot of the healthcare industries, as well as like you know dental, vet, where they're not these sterile spaces that um, that people are, are wanting to come to. So designing an aesthetically pleasing space where people want to bring their pets. So now, you know, people want to go somewhere, uh, bring their pet to somewhere that's aesthetically pleasing and nice and warm and friendly, just the same way they want to bring their kids to a pediatric dentist with the same vibe or their, you know, a dentist themselves, you know? Right. Um, and to do that, you don't have to break the budget. We always recommend if we're working with a budget, certain budget, put those design dollars into that lobby, into that waiting room. Uh, the front counter, um, any ceiling aesthetics or cool wall features you can do just in that front area. And as you get back more into the clinical area, you can scale back and get more into the functional, um, you know, uses for materials. But so, you know, you can tie it all together with color. So you don't have to, you know, break the bank to make an aesthetically pleasing space. Right. And I think um, one that's one of the good things I'm seeing is that, you know, the, the veterinarians are, are want that look to their space. No one's looking to have a space that, you know, we kind of grew up bringing our pets to. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting point. I think that kind of, you know, sort of dovetails into like the overall theme and, and mission with, with this podcast that I feel like with a startup of any healthcare startup, but especially, you know, in the, in the vet world, there are so many new pet owners, especially over COVID and recently, even before COVID, uh, that there are a lot of people out there, you know, clients who are looking to start patient relationships with uh, with a veterinarian. So you kind of have like a lot of like new people, kind of free agents, so to speak, that are out there up for grabs. And if doing a startup allows you to build a, a you know a modern office that is, as you said, aesthetically pleasing and it's more consistent with what you know the world that we're living in now. I mean, people go to offices at WeWork or you know work from home, or there's sort of this expectation that when you go you know to see a healthcare provider that you're not going to the lab, so to speak, right? And and that's you know and 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 that you know if you're doing a startup and you have the ability to to build something like that, that's just so modern and relevant. It's got to be a good thing over buying some, you know, 50-year-old sleepy practice that's in a home that's, you know, sort of an antiquated space to begin with. You know, if you're competing for new patients, I don't see how somebody doesn't go to that that new, aesthetically pleasing, new modern space. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, I mean, there are really two two parts of that, and that's you know, people want to um, when, when they're when they're going to go, especially you know, it could be a stressful situation. They want to go someplace that's going to feel more comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, from, from that emotional standpoint and mental standpoint. Um, and then the other part from the doctor's side is that your reception area, your waiting and your exam rooms, that's your showroom. You know, that's, that's what you're selling. That's how you're selling your services. Mm, right. You know, like it or not. That's what people see. And that's what they get, their, you know, their first initial, impression, their yeah. first impression they're feeling from. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, and, and it's like, and it, and it carries over because, and that's also, you know, the first impression when they walk in the door. But, you know, if you're going to take some pictures of the office to go on your website, which, you will and should. Um, that's what they see when they go to your homepage and they look and say, oh, this is what this office looks like. Well, like that looks like a place I want to take my animal. You know, like that. that's pretty cool. That looks like a place that I would enjoy going to. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the front door that when you walk in, but again, your front door now is the, becomes the, the photo that is your virtual front door. And as people are Googling different uh, vets in their in their neighborhood because they just adopted their first dog or cat and they're trying to figure out where they're going to take their pet. Um, they're looking around for what looks to be the coolest new place to go to. Um, and yep. uh, so it really has a cascading effect. And I think, as you guys said, this and this is part of you know, folks, why I think it's important, you know, when you're working to design the office, when you're working with somebody who has this experience, I think it was great advice. Put your dollars where you get the pop, you know, and make that front space look nice because that's going to have return on investment. Maybe you spend a little extra money there, save a little money, uh, a little money someplace else that isn't as visible. Um, but, you know, ultimately, you want people to be attracted to uh, to the space. Yeah, there are always cost-effective solutions to making a statement in the waiting room um, that are that are not, you know, like I said earlier, gonna gonna break the bank. There's always a way. There's always a solution. So um, don't be afraid of, of making it a, a trying to come up with an appealing aesthetic design for your waiting room. Yeah, and as you say, you know, a statement. This goes back to the vision for your practice. And this is what is one of the cool parts about doing a startup and owning your own professional practice. You get the opportunity to practice where you want, how you want, in, in the way that you want and design the practice to be, you know, yours. You know, you put your uh, your footprint on it. And, um, and that begins with kind of what the vibe is in the place, you know, and that carries through with how you treat your patients and clients and how you interact with people. And uh, it all, all kind of goes together that it's a really cool thing to say, like, how do I create know, my professional practice. And some of that is, again, with uh, with the systems you put in place and the culture that you're, you're implementing. But it also begins with the, what does the place feel like when uh, when people walk in the front door? Yep. Um, and a great way to that yeah. process, Rob, is, is to do some research online. Find some pictures of offices that you like, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe send some pictures of offices that you've seen, that you've been in the past. And you know, just to let the designer know what's in your mind for uh-huh. what you, the look you're trying to achieve, you know. Uh-huh. Um, and we always start with that, whether it be colors or I like this floor or I like this type of counter, front counter area. Just something to start on to be able to get in their head and, and, and design something that's going to achieve what their what their vision for their space is. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Good. 
Um, so, guys, you know, what are some misconceptions that you, know, you see veterinarians have when it when it comes to considering doing a startup? Um, well, I mean, we kind of you know jumped through a, a lot of these already with the, the the thought that there are rules of thumb for basically how everything's done, and mm-hmm. when the reality is, it's really you know what works best for you and your practice and your clients, right? Um, but um, you know, other ones that fall in line. Um, you know, when, when you do go out on your journey and you start hiring all these professionals that when you look at architectural services, there's, you know, there's a general misconception of architectural services. Basically, is, oh, I get, I'm going to hire someone. They're going to, they're going to design this for me, come up with the drawing basically overnight. And, um, it's going to have everything that I need. Uh, when, you know, there's a reality is that, they, you know, if you really do go to an architecture firm, typically that doesn't include, you know, interior design, uh, engineering, and, you know, a lot of times there won't be coordination with the equipment vendors uh, right. or the construction team, right. and, you know, nor is there any construction administration. So um, really be careful when you go forward um, with, you know, hiring separate services to make sure that there either isn't gray area or that there's enough overlap um, and communication between them. Yeah, yeah I think to yeah. sum that up, I guess the way I would, I would put that is a misconception is the time frame needed to get from point A to open for business. Uh-huh. So some think I found a space, I'm going to be up and running in, in you know four or five months. But the reality is you have nope. the architecture time, <laughs> the permitting, and the construction time. So yeah. I think um, you know, I always tell people from the time we speak, our initial conversation, that it's likely six to eight months if things progress as planned and decisions are made as they are presented. Um, but I'd say that's one of the bigger misconceptions that, um, that I see is just the... Uh, just the the lack of knowledge about how how long this pro- entire process takes. Yeah, and it's just like anything too. You know, the 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 more time you take and the further in advance you plan for it, you know, the, the better it's going to be and the more input you're going to have. But yeah, I I think it's in, I I kind of as you guys are talking about sort of what happens if you just go out and hire a, a standalone architect. You, you have to understand again what they what they're doing, what they're not doing. Uh, I, I would kind of analogize it to if you're trying to, you know, kind of put together and and be your own wedding coordinator, like you're going to have a, a wedding reception in a venue where they don't provide all the stuff and you have to make sure like, OK, we need to have the floor. We need the chairs. We need the napkins. We need the plates. We need the booze. We need right. all this stuff that you have to, you know, and, and if you forget the forks, well, you know, what are you going to do? Like you're not going to have any forks. So and back to, you know, you don't know what you don't know. It's hard to. I think try to manage a, a startup project. If this is your first, second, third, or even more times of doing it, you still haven't done enough times to really appreciate all the things that you have to kind of deal with uh, and and coordinate. Uh, if you're kind of hiring people in a sort of discrete piecemeal fashion, as, as opposed to just getting somebody involved that has overall ownership of the project, as, as you noted at the outset, Ben. So, um, you know, as we wrap things up, guys, what what's a piece of advice that you would give to a veterinarian that's you know considering a startup? And, you know, in some of it, it can be, 
construction, design, architecture, or even just, you know, business experience. I mean, you guys are obviously out there. You're doing this a lot for folks. Sometimes you'll see people do things right that are not necessarily construction or design related or something wrong that's not construction or design related, or you're talking to people early in the process who have misconceptions or anything. But like, if somebody said to you today, like, hey, you know, I'm thinking about doing a, uh, a startup and I'm, I'm a vet, like, w- what would you tell that person? Yeah, I actually have a couple things to offer on that. So from the perspective of your the way you just phrased that question, I would echo a lot of the, the conversation we've had today is assemble a trusted team for your entire project. Uh, get a reference. If you have a great relationship with the, the architect, ask him who he recommends that he's worked with in the other industries mm-hmm. from your you know, your supply company, architect, builder, realtor, bankers, attorneys, Rob, you, you know, um, I would uh, recommend you get a approach it as a team. You're, this is going to be a, uh, you know, a six month to a year endeavor. So you want to work with a trusted team who you want to be with you and by your side through the entire, the entire way. Someone you can trust to get you through the kind of the bumps and the bruises along the way and and direct you i think you know if you approach it as more of um hey i'm looking for a bid uh how much could you could you give me a could you give me a quote yeah i just think you open yourselves up you open yourself up to a little you know it's not as personal of a touch you don't have the relationship you know you potentially open yourselves up for for uh change orders because you haven't at that point established your details of your project um, so I really would recommend you approach it as a long-standing relationship and assemble a, a, t- a trusted team through every facet of, of the way. Yeah, that's great advice. And, um, and 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 assembling that team does not mean yeah, googling each one of these people that you need on the team and then finding the cheapest person that does it. <laughs> you know, I'm going right. to tell you that. Yeah. You know, it's some, yeah. sometimes the the quote unquote the cost of cheap can be uh, pretty expensive uh, as you said you yeah. know especially with my you know uh, from my perspective as a lawyer who's been practicing for 27 years I've seen uh, situations where construction projects have gone bad and, and they've ended up in in litigation or I've also seen situations where clients are out bidding uh, getting bids on projects and you know there's sometimes that people will lowball bids to try to get the the business and then know that they're going to add all these, as you said, change orders at the end. And folks, if you're not familiar with that concept, a change order means deviations to what was originally planned that would change the cost of the project. And so um, there are definitely people out there that you know, to get the business come in low. And then guess what? After you get into it, you find out that it's going to be a lot more expensive. Same thing even right. in the legal world, you know, um, working with the cheapest lawyer doesn't mean that you're getting an A product that's going to protect you. Um, you know, with, with all this stuff, there's no like uniform sort of benchmark standard of quality that you know that, hey, I'm getting the same thing and I'm paying less. It's not like, okay, I want to buy a, a Ford you know, F-150 pickup truck. And if I can buy it for $5,000 less here, then, okay, you're getting a Ford F-150 pickup truck and you got it for five grand less. Buy it there. But, you know, working with a cheaper contractor or a cheaper lawyer uh, doesn't ensure that you're getting the same product at the end of the day. Yeah, I love that analogy. I think, uh, 
you know, and then, and then if you don't have, if you're working with someone that doesn't have experience, they think they are offering you the, the correct number. And then they get into the project and realize they've missed 90% of the mechanicals that yep. need to go into really make the project become what it is. And, uh, cause they didn't know themselves. So that's where you get yourself into trouble with the, uh, with the change orders as well. Yeah. And I see it folks. It is it, it, what these guys are saying is absolutely real. And, uh, you know, with these projects, you're doing this on a somewhat, you know, Tight, I wouldn't say tight budget, but like you don't have a lot of extra money floating around for, hey, guess what? It cost an extra 90 grand to do your project. Like, whoa, where's that coming from? You know, you can't go back to Wells Fargo at that point and say, oh, gee, I, I need more money. You know, like it, it could be a challenging right. thing that could really put you in a, in a bad place. But um, so you know, working with the people that understand this. And I think, too, you know, I, I see that working with trying to tap into your trusted advisors network is a, is a great tool too. You know, like you don't have to wonder like, gee, well, who am I, how am I going to find this realtor? How am I going to find this contractor? How am I going to find a lender? Like we all work with the people that do good work and we want to surround ourselves as, as the team members with other people, of the team that are going to ensure the success of this project because, you know, Ben, you, me, Pete, Des, Doug, all these people that are involved, we want this to be a success. And, you know, to ensure the success, you know, I want a good team around me. Uh, and I'm going to tell the client that, yeah, these are people that we've worked with that can you know, do, do a good job for you, who've done a good job for other clients, you know. And like, again, to go out and Google somebody who may or may not know what they're doing to save a few bucks, you know, the cost of cheap, as I said, can be extraordinary. Now, you know, Rob, with, with that, the, you know, I don't want to say the caveat, but, the, you know, the, the reality of that is that no matter how well you plan, you know, issues will arise. Yeah. In a stressful process. You know, that's mm -hmm. what it is. And that's where another part where that having that good team, you know, they will, A, have the experience and know how to solve anything that do arrive, as well as, you know, you will be at ease that it'll be okay. We'll get through it. But that's what we do. Um you know, not, there's no, you know, no problems too big. And, uh, um, you know, the, the team is what's going to really pull you through. Yeah. That's, that's a great, uh, great comment too, Trey. And I, let me just take a minute to elaborate on that. Um, when you're doing these projects and, and frankly, after you open and, and you have your business, things will go wrong. That is just the nature of the beast. And, uh, you know, even if you're working with the absolute best possible team, that doesn't mean that everything is going to go 100 percent smoothly and that there will never be an issue. Issues arise. Uh, but, you know, as Trey said, having a, a good team surrounding you, it helps you to solve the problems and to overcome these issues when they arise. And so, you know, I think sometimes people do fall into this, this trap of, oh, we're going to do this and everything's going to be perfect and there's not going to be any problems. Nope. That's not the way the world works. That's not the way that business works. That's not the way that practice ownership works. You know, be ready for problems. But here's the thing, having the team around you that can help solve those problems is big. And then also there are things that you have control over and there are things that you don't have control over. Working with the right team can at least ensure the success of the things that you do have control over so that you limit the problems and just deal with those unforeseen things that you have to, uh, not to have like this whole mess of a situation where everything's upside down, which again, if you're not working with the right people, you're not getting the right advice or doing the right thing, it can happen. Exactly. 
guys, it, thanks so much for uh, for taking the time uh, and being on the podcast and uh, and chatting. And I think you've got some some great uh, information here and, and recommendations and counsel for our listeners. Uh, tell uh, tell our folks how they can get in touch with you if they have questions or they want to learn more about your services or the process. Absolutely. And Rob, thanks for having us. We appreciate it as well. It was fun. Um, so to get a hold of us, you, I would be your point of contact. That's Ben. Bell is my last name. Phone number is 302-824-2627. Email address is Ben at Blackstone, B-G as in building group. Dot com and our website is www.blackstonebg.com. Okay, sounds good. And that'll be uh, that'll be up on the uh, on the show notes too. Uh, if people didn't catch that, or you can always contact me. And happy to put you in touch with these guys. They do great work for their healthcare clients, uh, all kinds of construction projects. Uh, and thanks again for uh, for taking the time, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with Attorney Rob Montgomery. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the process of starting up a veterinary practice demystified. For more information about today's podcast or to contact Rob's firm, go to www.yourvetlawyer.com.